All right, I am here to continue uh, pressing forward with the Making the Most of Every Moment series that you all have been in for the last four weeks or so. So if you haven't been here, then uh, this is a series about time and how to use time. But Anthony has been very particular in mentioning that this is not a time management series per se. You're not going to get the, the tactics and, and, and structures to be able to reorganize your time. Although if you are in need of that, let me just say, send me an email. I think my email address was just up on the slide. I have lots of exercises to help people uh, evaluate their time and reorganize it, but that's not necessarily the focus of what we're, what's going on here. So Anthony mentioned in, uh, I think it was week one or week two, and I have to say I'm really disappointed in you all because he said uh, that there are, that he asked everybody, how many minutes are there in a day? And there was stone silence. And as a, as a math person, as someone who teaches math, uh, I, was, I was really, I was urging you on as I was li listening on my phone that there are 1,414 minutes in a day. I had it for you. If I was here, I would have shouted it out, but, but you guys didn't quite know, but it's a, I forgive you. It's okay. Not everybody's uh, math, math enabled. But in light that we all have the same 1,440 minutes in a day, what are we doing with them? And, and the key question is not necessarily one of the quantity of what we're doing, but the quality in how we, we're spending those minutes. And Anthony has gone through and talked about, are we living for God's glory? Meaning, are we putting our whole sense of self and worth in being followers of God and being made in his image? But we're not trying to pack more in. Because anytime I work with somebody about time management, Okay, and we talk about, hey, what kind of time are you devoting to God? It always ends up with the person deciding that they're going to now wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do their things. And that lasts maybe one or two days at best. So it's not about packing more in. So how I want to advance our discussion on time and making the most of every moment is to, is to ask you this question right here. How, uh, how good are you at being fully present in what you do? Because I really think that is the key question for, for all of us with time. Because we're good at being productive, we're good at doing things, we're good at filling time. But how good are we at being present with what we're doing with our time? So one of the verses that, that Anthony has been using is Matthew 6.33. And I want to start there, I want to read, read that verse. And, and Matthew 6.33 talks about, about the purpose with our time and, and, and God's glory in our time. And it starts off by saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So there, there it is, a statement of our, our purpose and how we are to spend our time and what we're to be, to be devoted to. And God's kingdom and his righteousness, that's where, that's where the element of God's glory glory comes from and, and seeking God's wisdom. And all of these things will be given to you as well. And I want to extend this into Matthew 6, 34, which is also on the screen. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so the context here is these two verses are at the end of a passage where Jesus is instructing the, the people who are listening that uh, he's instructing them about where their treasure is and what they are seeking and what they're pursuing with, with their time and with their life. And he's also talking about uh, the, 
particularly clothing and food, that we spend so much time worrying about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat, that we, that we miss so much of what life, life has to offer. And so at the end, we get this injunction to not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. And I really think that speaks to our culture, because we are totally a culture that lives for tomorrow, right? Or, or even, not even just tomorrow, but an hour from now. We are always looking forward, always what is coming next, right? We want, we want, to, we want to feel like we're making progress, and that wars at us because we're supposed to have an, an attitude of contentment. And so when we're, when we're at work, we're thinking about maybe our promotion or our next job or even the next thing we're going to do in our work day. Or, you know, we're, we're, we're on Monday, we're thinking about the next weekend and how we're going to live that. Or when we're talking with somebody, we're thinking about the next conversation. Or even the next thing we want to say within a particular conversation. Or we're thinking about, while we're doing one thing, we're thinking about all the things that we're missing out on. Something else. And, and our culture pushes us this way. I mean, if, if, you've, if you've been married uh, for any length of time, almost immediately after saying, I do, somebody will say to you at the reception, so, when are you going to have kids? Right? So it's not good enough to just be married anymore. Right? Now there's the next thing. And then, when you have one child, okay, before that child is, has even been wiped off by the doctors, what are people asking you? When are you having number two? Right? And it's, again, it's the next thing. I was having lunch with my daughter. Uh, my wife and I, my daughter, we were, ha- we were having lunch. And while we were eating, literally she was chewing food and she asked this question. Hey, mom, what's for dinner? Right? So we're eating and we're looking forward. And this speaks to a mindset, right, of how can we enjoy, how can we appreciate, how can we relish what we're doing in one moment when we're, we're looking ahead and we're thinking automatically about the next moment. And, and whether it's we have a hope for something better or whether it's just a desire that we want more, we, we have a lack of focus of, of what is before us. And one of, the, one of the symptoms of this that we see everywhere is just a, a pervading anxiety, right? An anxiety that I don't have enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, and, and, we, and we live with that. And so we have this disordered way of looking at our time. And we want to overlap and we want to do so many things. And so this, this, this command by Jesus to do not worry about tomorrow is, is an invitation. It's an invitation to be, to be present in the moment. And this is a discipline, right? As I've already outlined all the, all the problems we have doing this, this is something we have to practice and we have to be intentional about, particularly when we're, we're trying to break free of, of old patterns. And so being present to what is before you now requires trusting God with the rest. And I think sometimes that's the, at the heart uh, of a lot of our issues, is we don't necessarily trust God. We don't trust that uh, the, the end of that statement, that uh, tomorrow will worry about itself, that God is going to take care, that God has, God has clothed the flowers uh, in, in great splendor. So what do we have to worry about with what we're going to wear? And since the beginning of his creation, God has fed all the, all the creatures that live on this earth. So, so what, do we have to, what, what do we have to worry about? This is, this is what Jesus says. But we, we, we 
don't want to give up control. Now, as I'm going through this and I'm talking about being present and talking about living in, in, in the moment and experiencing all that each moment gives us, please know I'm not, not, this is not a call to be unwise. Right? I'm not saying don't start saving for retirement or don't make a plan uh, or, or anything like that at all. That, that, is not, that is not what Jesus is saying here. Okay? Uh, being wise, there, throughout the Proverbs, there are definite commands about what to do with your life and how to make sure that, that you have prepared well. But this is about living in awareness. And, and some authors, some books will call this mindfulness. And really what it all just boils down to is do you have the ability to pay attention? Because we act and we plan as if there is, there is time for everything, right? If God, is, if God is omnipresent, then so am I, right? So I can double schedule things and I can overlap things and I can go right from one to another and, and, and all the time just not being aware of what's going on around me. So we try so hard to be of two minds, have you ever been talking to somebody and, and you can totally tell that they are zoned out, they're thinking about somebody else? Right, I, I have, I've done this to people, okay? So I'm, I, I'm, I am totally guilty of this. I, was, I, I work at a college and this week I was grading papers as one of my colleagues was talking to me. So hashtag irony of what I'm talking about today uh, before you. But when you talk to somebody who you know their mind is elsewhere, you know they're thinking about what's coming up later in their day, or maybe they, they're just waiting to hop in because they've got something to say, I mean, how does that feel? I mean, you, you feel ignored. You feel like uh, you're not being valued in, in that moment. How about another way we try to be of two minds? And this is one of my worst areas, eating while I'm driving, right? And when you're done eating while you're driving, the first question I always ask is, where'd the food go? I don't even remember because like I've got to pay attention to the road, right? I got to make the right, my turn signals, make sure I don't bump into people. That would be terrible. So in, while I'm paying attention to driving, I'm not paying attention to what I'm eating. Food's gone. I, I've had no enjoyment out of it. I, I, I walk around a college campus where students are talking to each other, but at the same time they're talking to each other, they're texting. Like how can you have two conversations at the same time? You can't. You're, you cannot be a, of two minds. I, I read several articles this week about the hazards to your health of eating lunch while you're at your desk at work. I mean, how many of, how many of us try to maximize our time by doing things, by checking email, by, by talking to people, by accomplishing tasks while we're sitting at the desk eating? And there are, there are physical and emotional consequences they found to doing that. It heightens anxiety, uh, among other things. So, you know, we, we, we hop in the car and we're so worried about the destination that we, we ignore the beauty of, the, of the, the journey that we're on. We just don't even see it. Or we could be playing with our kids and the whole time we're playing with our kids, we're thinking, what are the things that I really need to be doing? Right, what are the important things that, that are going on? Because that is seen as, as a, little bit, uh, a little bit less. But even worse, we come to, into the presence of God a place that we are invited to be, a place that we really have no right to be. And, and while, we, while we're in prayer, while we're in devotion to, to him, we, we, we miss so many of the moments because we're thinking about, what do I need to do when I'm done with this moment with God? What do I, what do I need to really accomplish once, I, once I've had my quiet time? And so this lack of being present is, is an emptiness that we're trying to fill. 
and, and we fill it with distraction. And, and it's an unquenched thirst, and it's never going to be quenched. So looking forward robs us of effectiveness today. Okay, this is, this is one of the, the, the principles of when I am of two minds, when, I am, when I'm trying to accomplish two things at once, it robs me of effectiveness in one thing. Now, the word effectiveness, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying to be better, to be the best. That, and that might, be, that might be something that happens. But effectiveness as in this, am I enjoying what, what I'm doing? Or effectiveness in relationship, is this, is, am I experiencing intimacy with, with, with this person? Uh, safety, if you're texting and driving and you're of two minds, right? Are you experiencing effectiveness, safety? Or just being grateful, and so some small examples, these are things that I try to focus on. Like if I'm on a walk, I try to look up. I try to enjoy the, the beauty of, of the blue sky. A small thing, but it's being present in the moment. It's being grateful to God for, for everything he has, he has put around me in, in that moment. Spending time w- with my daughter, I try to focus only on her and be, be grateful for her, her presence in my life. I'm only going to get to be with her for a certain amount of time. I don't, want to, I don't want to waste those moments. Or maybe you're with somebody and you can be present to the grief of a friend. Right? Sometimes we can be with people, but we could not see what they're going through. And, and we totally miss them. So we're ineffective in that relationship. Because we don't get to grieve with them. We don't get to have joy with them. So taking, taking it all in. But more than anything being attuned to the presence of God in all of these moments. If you're not present, you can't be grateful. If, if you're not actually thinking through what's, what's going on, then you cannot attribute it to, to God. And effectiveness also speaks to opportunity. And we're going to look at an example of Jesus, because I think Jesus demonstrated presence in his ministry. I mean, he's being tugged in a million directions because he's performing miracles and he's, he's sp- speaking prophetic truth and, and people are following him and they're awed by him. And, and, and in the midst of all that, he still finds the, the ability to be present. And so in, in one particular instance, this is in John chapter 11, and the end of this will be on the screen. Jesus had some friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and so Martha sends word to Jesus, sends a messenger to where he was, he was doing ministry. It was a day's journey uh, away. And it said, Lazarus is sick. He's dying. Please come and help. And so here is the response that, that Jesus has. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So uh, he, he, he loves them. He, he's been in relationship with them. He stayed at their house. Um, Mary has sat at his feet while he's been, he's been teaching her. They were very close, close to each other. So his response is, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Right, so on the, on the surface of it, that seems a little bit peculiar, right? But Jesus was present where he was. He had, he had a purpose for where he was at that moment in time, and he was going to accomplish that pur- purpose. He had been led by the Father to wherever he was and whoever he was ministering to, and that moment was not done. And so he was present. Now, because he loved Mary and Martha, he did cut it a little short. He wasn't dismissing them, but he had to finish one thing before doing another thing. 
As an aside, as I was reading this passage, I was really trying to think uh, deeply about this passage. We get frustrated by answer prayer so often, or what we think is unanswered prayer. And here, Jesus waited two days before he moved and and, and made the day's journey back to, to help out Mary and Martha. So maybe there's a reason that when we have something we're praying for and we're being diligent and we're wondering, God, have you heard me? Maybe there, maybe there is a reason. Maybe Jesus isn't being silent. Maybe he's being purposeful. That's all about our trust. That was just an aside. That was something that occurred to me as, as I was reading that verse. But back to the, the, the point of presence. Being present opens you up to move as God leads, not as people or circumstance dictate. Right? You ever feel pulled? You ever, other, another person's urgency becomes your urgency because, oh, I forgot this and I'm behind and I can't do this. And so you start running and you don't even know why you're running uh, anymore or why, why you're exhausted because we've let somebody else's business become our business. So when we're present, we're moving as God leads. We're not being tossed about. We're not on somebody's leash. We're d- dwelling in uh, each moment. So how do we get there? How do, how do we go from, from being uh, double-minded? How do we go from trying to cram everything we, 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 we can into each passing moment and, 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 and call that making the most of every moment? How do we move over to this single-mindedness? How do we, how do we move over to this focus? How do we move to being present? Because that, that's not our default. Right, that the part of us that is, that is seeking to, to be filled, that the empty part of us that, that we're trying to fill ourselves, it, it, it is prone to disorder and just grabbing at everything it can. And so I want to go back in Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses up. So if you're following along in your Bible or on your phone, it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to go up to Matthew 6 and read verses 22 and 23. And in that verse it says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, the eye, here's how the eye functions. It will let you know what is going on inside of you. Right? So the eye is radiating uh, what, what is inside. And so if you, if you are always looking for something else, Okay, if your eye is roving to the next thing, the better thing, the, the, the thing that you feel like has more quality, if you are constantly using your eye to impact, how does this impact me? Right, so this relationship, how does what this person's going through, how can that benefit me or how is this costing me? If, uh, if, if you have an eye that is constantly consuming, then this is darkness, this is your, an absence. This is you are trying to, to fill the space inside of you. And, and this is the symptom of being, uh, of being disconnected from God, of not being focused. As Anthony said a couple weeks ago, of trying to live for your own glory rather than for, for the glory of God. So that the self-focused eye is one that, that is consumed by darkness looking for wholeness, looking to be complete on your, your own terms. And so the eye is looking around for how can I fill up the emptiness that I have inside. Now, on the other hand, if when your eye is looking around and you see opportunities for compassion and opportunities for generosity, opportunities to display love, opportunities to be selfless, right? Not full of yourself, 
selfless. That's the fruit of having light inside. So the eye is shining forth what is inside. So when you're connected to the image of God, when when you are living for the glory of God, uh, I would use the terminology, when you have an identity that is rooted in Christ, when how you define yourself and how you're valuable and why you matter and what your significance is, when you define that in terms of how Jesus sees you, that's light. That's the light inside of you. And you produce fruit that is consistent with that. And I'm not going to go into detail about it, but if you read forward into Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about how our lives are trees producing fruit. And a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good, and a good tree can't, can't produce bad. And that's how you recognize the disciples uh, of Jesus. There is a consistency between the fruit of your life. There's a consistency between what your eye is seeing and focusing on and how it's processing it and where you are rooted So how we see is the product of our identity. And what we focus on is due to what is within us. So if you find yourself, you get paralyzed, uh, feeling like you're you're a victim, right? This has kind of become common uh, uh, among people that I interact with, okay? If your eye is looking for ways that you are a victim, you're trying to fill something. Or are you, are you acting bold as a victor? Because that's how we are in Christ. We have, we have victory over this emptiness, over this disconnect, disconnection. We have peace with God. And we should be able to live through that. When we see somebody in need, do we see that as an opportunity for personal glory? Like if I do something to step into this situation, people are going to see me a certain way? Or am, is this an opportunity for compassion? Or do you not even notice? Do you walk by somebody in need and not even sense that something's going on? You're missing a moment. You're not making the most of every moment. Or when you experience something, is it just not enough? Again, moment that has been missed. So making the most of every moment means developing our our ability to see. It means developing our eye. And what, the, what, the, what Jewish tradition called this was the good eye. And I was going back through uh, some of the messages I've done here before because I've talked about the good eye before. And, I, and it, was, it was way back in October 27th of 2013. So I've been speaking here a long time. So thank you for not being bored with me yet. Okay, so I appreciate that. But I spoke about generosity that week, and it's still online. If you're looking for something to listen to this week, I really like that message. I've I've done it a couple other places. I listened to it. Uh, But it's, it's about what's called the good eye. And having the ability to have compassion and to, to see and to, to be generous. And in the focus of that particular message was with regard to uh, with regard to finances. But having the good eye means you have light within you. And so the good eye appreciates beauty and order. The good eye experiences enjoyment in life's circumstances. Because these are things God meant for us. Right? God made the world beautiful for a reason. And he made us have the ability to appreciate beauty for a reason. God made us have the ability to enjoy things. And he wants us to enjoy things. And I think it grieves him when we move past the things he's put in our life to enjoy and we don't even notice it. 
whether that's a meal or whether that's a person or whether that's a, a trip or an experience, we were meant to, to enjoy, the thi- enjoy things. Or are we grateful for the things that we have been given? See, the mindset that we have fallen out of is that we were created, right? God created, God created the world, God created us. So if there's a creator, then there's someone to be grateful to. And we've kind of developed a mindset in our, in our culture that, that we, have to be, we have to be masters of our environment or we have to be masters of our own kingdom. And in that case, then the person to be grateful to is myself or the person to be disappointed in is myself when I don't get what I, what I want. The good eye means when we have light within that we can experience contentment. Even when we don't have everything others do, again, whether it's relational, whether it's at our job, whether it's physical things, whether it's bank account, we have the ability to live in contentment because we have all we need in Jesus. And we, we not, on, not only that, but we know that the Father is looking out for us, that he has our needs at heart. The good eye when we have light within us, we have the ability to live in grace and not beat ourselves up when we, we don't live up to whatever standard we're trying to. And we have the ability to extend that grace to, to other people and, and make sure they know that, that, that living as a disciple of Jesus is not about perfection. It's about faithfulness. And when you have the light within, you understand the value of all people whether the people look the same as you or they're from the same place as you or whether they have the same, uh, the, the, whether they have the same uh, financial standing as you, all people have the same value in, in the eyes of God. And that's the good eye looking around. So I'm going to move on to another example of Jesus demonstrating his good, good eye and talking about, about our, our eyes. And so Jesus is going to come back. This is something that's promised. We might be here, we might already, we might already be with him in, in the next life, but Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return in his glory, glory next time. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about this. He's talking about the, the, when the sun comes back, and he's going he's gonna to look upon everyone, and he's going to separate them into people on his right and people on his left. And on the people on his right who are called righteous, so righteous, right, that kind of makes sense now. The righteous will answer him because Jesus has said, you guys are on my right because you, you saw people in need and you helped them, you gave them water, you fed them, you gave them a place to stay when they needed it. And, and this is what the people on the right say. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you, the I? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, again, focusing on this good eye, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? See, the the righteous, they didn't know. They didn't know because it was natural. The way you behave is consistent with where your identity is. When you have the light within you and you have the good eye, you're not intentionally waking up one day and saying, hmm, where can I find people to clothe and people that that need something to drink? It just becomes a natural extension of you. Making the most of every moment, being present, is the, the natural, consistent outcome of being rooted in Christ. And it's natural because it's consistent with, with who we are. 
Now, to the people on his left, the son said the same thing. And, and he, but he, in the negative, he says, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't offer me a place to stay. You didn't greet me. And so the people on the left are going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Again, when did we see this? And they didn't see it because they missed the opportunity. They moved past it. And whether it was a person that they didn't see, they didn't see as worthy of receiving help or whether it was uh, they just were looking forward to the next thing that they had to do on the task list and they were too busy to stop for the opportunity that God had placed in their path, they didn't see it. They were self-absorbed. They saw relationships as pragmatic. Only got involved when it was going to provide me something. And Jesus' response to both the people on the right and on the left is related to how they saw, to what kind of eye they had. And a good, a good lens, a good lens on your eye comes from a good root. So, going to end with an example of Jesus because there's no better way no better way to end and to wrap things up so Jesus is walking along this is in Matthew chapter 20 and I could have picked numerous examples but uh, I liked this one so Jesus picked this one uh, or I picked this one that Jesus did two blind men were sitting by the roadside now back then if you were blind if you had a disability or any sort of handicap you were marginalized you were, you were set to the side. Culture had no use for you. And in addition to that, they thought that you must have done something wrong to be in that condition. So people walked a wide berth around those that were, that were disabled. So these two men were sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them. The crowd said, you do not have any right to speak to this man. He is great. You are nothing. So please be quiet. They probably didn't say please. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But what they did is they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They got more impassioned because they sensed who Jesus was. And Jesus stopped. And while the crowd was telling them to be quiet, while the crowd was telling them that they didn't matter, they didn't have any business uh, calling on the name of Jesus, Jesus stopped. He saw. He noticed. He was present. He was going to make the most of this, this moment. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? A crowd was following Jesus. I am sure he had a place to go. I am sure there were lots of demands and lots of people tugging uh, on his coat, wanting to go in this direction and that direction. I'm sure he had a task list, and I'm sure his disciples probably were saying, Let, let's move on, let's accomplish something bigger so people will know more about you. And Jesus stopped. He noticed the small, the marginalized, the, in, the insignificant. And so making the most of every moment involves seeing the least of these because that's what these, these men were, noticing the small, and I'm referring right now to people because, because people is what God loves. But we can notice the small in, in every moment, whether it's the, the beauty of a moment or it's the smell of a moment or what, whatever's, whatever it might be, being present. So people are not a problem to be fixed. Okay? People are not a distraction to be endured. People are valuable creations of God. 
whether they're living up to worldly standards or not. God sees us all the same. So making the most of every moment means truly seeing people, developing that ability to be present, having an unhurried mindset, giving a full focus, not giving enough attention to one person until you can move on, on to the, the next person. And what it's all about, if, if you read the whole context of Matthew chapter 6, it's all about building treasure in heaven. We want to we build treasure in heaven that's going to last versus building treasure on this world that is not going to last. And building treasure in heaven results from being present. You know, the Bible does speak of other rewards that, that are in heaven, but, but what is heaven all about? Who's going to be in heaven? People are. Right, so building treasure in heaven means making sure that, that you shine the light of Jesus, that the light of your good eye shines, shines on as many people that have the opportunity to be in heaven with you. That's making the most of every moment. Because people are the focus of God's love, people should be the focus of our, our good eye. And so I just want to end with two quick questions, and then I'm done, and thank you for letting me be here for another week. What is the level of your ability to be present? Like, I'm hoping that's a real question that you'll ask yourself and maybe you'll ask whoever's in the car with you, how present do I seem when, when I'm, I'm, I'm with you or, or how much do I, I enjoy the little things? And what is, your, what is your ability to pay attention to what is directly in front of you? How disciplined is your mind to focus on what is before you, how God is in that moment, and to use it for his glory? Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for Jesus, for his love for, for all of us, for his being present and noticing our lives uh, when we're broken, when we, are, uh, when we are wandering, when we're aimless, and taking the time to, to come, come into them. What, what, I think all the time, why do I matter to you, God? I, I'm small, I'm insignificant, uh, but I am grateful. I'm grateful that you took notice of me. I'm grateful that you've taken notice of all the people that are in this room today. I'm grateful that you've taken notice of all the people that live in this, this community. And I just pray that you would captivate our attention, that you would fill our hearts with gratitude, the ability to have joy uh, in every moment, and the, the ability, God, to be present with people, with our experiences, with everything that you have gifted to us. Let us live lives shining, shining your light on our communities, on our households, on our relationships, uh, so people would know who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen.